You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. I'm your host today, Aaron Wilkinson. I'm hosting because our guest today is Dr. Aaron Perry, our regular host of over 200 Wesley Seminary Podcasts. He's the Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership at Wesley Seminary. And today we're talking about his book, Kairos Care. This is a wonderful book that looks at how you can help those who feel like they're being called by God to make a change in their life. It provides a model that helps you walk them through this change process. This book is a wonderful resource for those of you who are serving in pastoral ministry, but for all of us who aren't serving in pastoral ministry, who are going to be approached by friends, family members, people inside of our church who seek us out for wisdom. This provides us a wonderful model for how we can help them walk through the change God is calling them to. So welcome. We are Wesley and you belong here. I'm Gloria Zikiwe and I am Wesley. My name is Chris and guess what? I am Wesley. I'm Ryan Wagers and I am Wesley. My name is Julius White and I am Wesley. My name is Jen Peterson and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr and I belong here. You belong here too because we are Wesley. Well, welcome to the Wesley Seminary podcast. This is our first one that we're doing, recording the video as well. My name is Aaron Wilkinson. I'm going to be your host this week because your regular host, Dr. Aaron Perry, is our guest this week. We are talking about his book, Kairos Care, and it's a wonderful book that we wanted to be able to share with the listeners. So I'm very excited to, to discuss this book with you today, Aaron. Man, me too. Thanks so much for doing this and rearranging, and it is kind of new to to do the video. So I'm excited. So let's just start off. Who's the book for? So I'm going to say my brother, Paul, and he'll love a shout out here. He gives me such a hard time to say this book is only for pastors. Now, of course, it's aimed at pastors and written to pastors because it's got pastoral counseling right in the title. But what I saw in small groups ministry when I was doing small groups is man, some of our best shepherds, some of our best pastors were small group leaders. They knew and they wanted to care for people who are in their small groups. So as part of this book, it's really aimed at people who have a shepherding role. And that can be like official people who have an office of pastor. That can be unofficial pastors, people who just perform the shepherding role in their church. And I think God has gifted more than the official pastor or pastoral staff of a church with shepherding gifts. So really, it's aimed at people who are find themselves in the role of the shepherd, who find themselves in the role of caring for the souls of other people. Well, you mentioned early in the book that pastoral counseling should be done as an interested friend and as a friend making practice. And that was really a new concept to me. So could you flesh that out for us? What does that mean? I'm trying to draw a distinction between what requires a licensed pastoral counselor or a professional counselor, and then the soul care work that can be done by people who know God, know the scriptures, have measure of understanding of theology, and can guide people in their journey with God, in the journey toward God, right? That's that's what soul care is, is how a person is being guided their whole self towards God. Now, it's pretty clear when somebody comes to me and they've got a physical injury that I'm not equipped to deal with that. 
maybe you need to go to the emergency room. It's not always as clear when we think about soul care, when somebody's got emotional wounds or other other injuries, other harms that, that are internal. It's not always as clear to know when that person needs to see a professional. But at some point along the way, it becomes clear. At some point along the way, we say, this is beyond what, what a friend can help you out with. I try to give that category of the friend, not in a way to diminish what's happening, but in a way to clarify, if I could do this work because I care about this person and I have the measure of understanding of the Bible and God and spiritual disciplines and practices, then I can help a person in this area of seeking wisdom to live a life that's faithful to God. And along the way, I hope that that does deepen the relationship. I hope that does create a measure of friendship. At the end of the book, I try to qualify that when the counseling relationship comes to an end, there has to be a reintegration into the church. There has to be a reintegration because the person who's giving soul care in this kind of focused way isn't able to do this in an ongoing way. It's not like the person who's providing a pastoral function in this kind of focused and guided way is a personal spiritual coach. That's a different thing as well. So there has to be a way that the body, the body of Christ is caring for one another under the the leadership of the great shepherd. So that's what I'm trying to get at with an interested friend, right? Person who knows God, has a measure of knowledge of scripture, spiritual discipline, spiritual practices, can help to craft a plan, hold accountable. I mean, friends can do all those things. And at the same time, I hope that there's a friendly approach to it, right? There's a way of deepening relationship, knowing one another better. And certainly there's a measure of letting oneself be known in the counseling process too. As I tried to put myself in the shoes of the pastor who was being approached by a member of the congregation who is looking for counsel, this book would, would be so incredibly helpful as it walks them through, you know, the person is coming to you with a particular moment that is happening to them that's, that's driven them. And you call that the Kairos moment. Can you describe what that is for those of us who may not know exactly what you're talking about? Since that's, it's the title of the book. So, so what are we talking about? Well, let me take you back to a moment in my personal story. There was a girl I was really interested in getting to know, and she was attending a class. And I was like, I'm interested in the content of the class too. It was on major prophets in the Old Testament. My master's degree was done, but I was like, I'll come and sit in on the class if it's okay with the professor. And maybe I'll sit next to the girl that I'd like to get to know a little bit better. Now, the girl's name was Heather. She ended up being my wife. And so it was all, it was all good. And, and I learned something else in the class, right? And in addition to my subvertive, subversive aims being met in the class, the professor described time in two ways. One was Kronos, right? That time that just keeps on going. You can't stop it. You can't arrest it. That's one of the amazing features of God is to stop time in the, the battle that the sun stands still. And then he described Kairos as a moment in time, right? A moment in time where it's like things slow down and it's charged. And you're like, I can do something now, or I'm going to have to wait for a while. Something can happen now. All the things are kind of aligning, or I don't know when it's going to happen again. It's outside my control. But for a person of faith, for a person who's in relationship with God, they're sensing like, this is a moment in time. This is a charged moment, something that can happen now that otherwise isn't going to happen. One way to think about it in terms of repentance, I was living in Ontario at the time, and there's a highway 401, busiest highway in Canada. If I was going to go visit my in-laws, I would go west and then go south on Interstate 81. If I was going to go visit my brother and my parents, I would go east on the 401, and then I go uh, north. If I'm in town, I'm, I'm going a different way. Well, there was one time I'm in town, but I needed to go west. And because normally when I was in town, I was going east. I just kind of went into autopilot, got on 401, headed east. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm going the, I'm going the exact wrong way. Now, 
it occurred to me before I could actually make a change that, oh, something needs to happen, but I had to wait till the right time. Kairos time is kind of like that. Like maybe our, our imagination or our spirit gets checked and we're like, oh, there's a change that needs to happen, but you have to wait. Like the right time seems to be a little bit distance off. Just like I had to wait for that, that off ramp to get off the highway and get turned around. Sometimes Kairos moments uh, happen like periodically along the way that my my mind, my spirit might get checked, but at some point I come to the realization like, oh, now is the time that I have to do something. Now I've got a moment in time for a change to take place. And that I think really helps me better understand, and hopefully the listeners as well, how a friend could use this book and what the model that we'll talk about a little bit. We all have friends who come to us in those moments and they're expressing this, this is something monumental is happening. And they may be coming to us. They may not be going to a pastor. We can use what we learned through this incredible work you've done for us. You talked about turning. And in the book, you talk about how the Kairos moment is in relation to repentance. And sometimes that's turning. And sometimes that's tuning. And that was the first time I had imagined repentance in that way. Can you talk about that a little bit and help us understand that a bit? And let me tie it into what you just said is that, you know, so many times we go to spiritually wise people, which hopefully we have friends who are spiritually wise, and they're going to help us discern, right? Is this a major change that needs to happen in my life? Is God doing something radically different? And that might be like, I've just got an orientation in the wrong way. Like I'm oriented towards professional success, or I'm oriented towards self-fulfillment in a way that's harmful to others, you know, whatever that kind of sin might be, or is this a tune, right? Is, is God just kind of slightly adjusting the, the dial? Like I think about whenever I listen to baseball games and we had this really old radio and it was just really sensitive and you had to get the dial just right. When the dial was just right, it was crystal clear. I could listen to my Blue Jays games. It was just a little bit off. It was like total static. And if I was to apply like a turning metaphor, like you could crank that dial and you'd just totally be, be away and miss it. All it needed was just that soft, soft tuning. One of the kind of paradoxes of the Christian faith that C.S. Lewis points out is that the person who needs to repent is incapable of doing so. The person who's capable of repenting is the person who doesn't need to. Now, God's grace getting mixed into that. It's God's grace that allows us to repent. It's God's grace that allows us to do that kind of 180. Like I'm going west on the 401. I need to go east. God's grace allows us to make that kind of change. But sometimes the spiritually sensitive person thinks like, I'm just way off. There's so much static in my life. But a friend is able to come along and say, no, your family's well-ordered. You're faithful at going to church. You're faithful at going home. You're a generous person. There's so many virtues in your life. Maybe there's just a bit of tuning that needs to happen. The point of all of this is to get headed in the direction of God, to get focused in on God. And sometimes like that 180 happens all at once, like we get reset. And sometimes it's just over time, we just get a little bit off kilter, a little bit askew. And God is saying, you know, get tuned back in to me. And I find that for somebody like me, a friend really helps me discern the difference, right? A friend really helps me know just how much to turn the dial or if there's a major change that needs to happen in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've mentioned a couple of times already that there's a model that you created in this book and you say, edit the model, however works best for you reader, but it's one that's worked for you and your background as being a pastor. And the first half is look and listen, clarify and conference. So if you get the book, you'll be able to see the pictures. But the first half, can you talk to us about what's happening in that first half of, of this conversation or, or this counseling that's happening? 
Yeah. And let me just back up one little bit. This isn't totally unique to me. It's a model that was given to me that I was able to tweak and do for, and make my own. So what I'm suggesting the readers do is exactly what I, I got to do with it. I was given this Kairos model and I can't even remember where it came along. I did some research to try and find out like the genesis of this model, who came up with it. But I found so many early iterations of it that I was like, I don't know who did. Like maybe it was some kind of one of those things that happened early on and people ran with and did the thing made it their own. So what I've done with it, what it seems like other people have done with it is what I'm suggesting you do with it as well, the reader. And that first half of the model, and if I was to describe it with leadership language, I'd say is about defining reality. Uh, Max Dupree said the first job of the leader is to define reality. And sometimes we can bristle a little bit like that, like God defines reality. Well, yes. I mean, God sets the context of reality. What I'm talking about, the first half of the model is defining reality, is doing our best to access God's wisdom to have reality be defined, right? And to, to work in this. And so the first step is look and listen. And here's one thing I found in my pastoral counseling work is, man, sometimes people just needed somebody to listen to them. This is one of the reasons why I think this book is helpful to a number of people is if you just develop some listening skills and a character that's able to listen, it's actually harder than you sometimes think to develop that kind of character and not be threatened when you're in the listening moment. But if you're able to develop a few skills and that character, like, man, that can solve so many problems because people are generally interested in their lives getting better. And sometimes they've got all the resources, right? They don't need some help spelling it out. They just need to be looked at and, and seen. They need to be listened to, to let some of the, the chaos that's in their head get into reality. And I found that just having a, some time that was structured, that I was able to listen to people, allowed them to, one, just feel better, but then two, have the, the wherewithal, have the approach to say, I think I can handle this now. I think I've got some clarity. Now, sometimes that clarity doesn't always come just by a person having some talk therapy and just talking it out to a friend. And so it takes some, some work to clarify. So I give some tips in the book on, on how to clarify what clarifying is. It's this kind of matching of imaginations. You know, Aaron, if you and I were to have a conversation now and, and you were to tell me a story, tell me an account, and maybe it's, it's something that it kind of epitomizes or captures something that you're struggling with or something you're discerning, it, it's this communicates what needs to change in my life, you'd have a picture in your imagination. And as you're telling me, I'd be able to form a picture in my imagination as well. And clarifying allows those imagination pictures to, to really meld. And here's one of the amazing things about the gift of community is sometimes whenever you're speaking it out, that imagination picture is going to clarify for you. You're going to be like, oh, now that the edges are kind of sharpening up and I'm able to see like there was somebody kind of in the background that I hadn't noticed before, but now I can. And also it could be that I'm able to see things that you hadn't seen yet. And so I'm able to ask questions about maybe people who seem to have peripheral roles to play, but now it's suddenly it's like maybe they're playing a bigger role or maybe there's some background noise in your life that you've just kind of missed and had stopped paying attention to. It just kind of comes out in the, in the telling of what's going on in your life. But I'm able to ask like, maybe that played a bigger role or, or tell me more about that background noise. You know, we're relational beings and sometimes Aaron's doing pretty well, but maybe father-in-law or maybe mother-in-law or, you know, cousin isn't doing so well. And that kind of background noise, that's really playing a bigger role than you, than you realize a good listener is able to ask some clarifying questions where that picture comes into focus. The last part about defining reality. So we had look and listen, had clarify is conference. And that's a measure of, okay, I'm going to trust part of myself to you. I'm going to entrust part of my own story to you. Now this takes some, some wisdom because not every person has the strength to handle every aspect of, of our story. 
especially a person in spiritual leadership. And so you got to entrust the other person wisely, see what they're able to handle and see what is clarifying to their story. Sometimes it's really easy to share too much of our own story, not in a way that's like sharing sensitive information, but just makes our story the controlling narrative. Like the story of your life should match the pattern of the story of my life. You really got to be careful that no, it's, it's about the person who's coming to you as the pastor or the, the informed friend who's got a picture of God that is going to be helpful in guiding them. It's about how can my story maybe boost them, give them faith whenever they've, they're kind of drawing on drawing low on faith, or maybe it can give them some lenses to sharpen it. But of course, maybe my story doesn't sharpen theirs. And so you say, you know, you try something else or try a different episode from your life or something like that. But either way, it's getting at what's reality. God has drawn us together in this kind of moment. God has been doing something. Let's work together to discern what God is up to. Let's work together to see what's going on in your life so that we can have a, a clear picture about what God is doing in your life. As I read this, I thought, if I'm the pastor in the office and the person's coming to me for counseling, this is the scariest moment for me because I want to be open and honest in ways that I have truly been through something similar and it provides hope for that person. But I also hear you saying, don't, don't try and tell a story and say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through when you don't, like you don't need your stories to necessarily match up. But if you have one that helps, but that we need to be cautious. And I think that, that everyone listening would, would understand that we have friends at different levels and depending on how deep of my friendship is how deep of uh, I'm going to share with you and, and using pastoral wisdom and discernment in that moment. What am I going to share with this person that will, that will be healthy for them? So all of that leads to what you call the statement of change. This is the hinge. I really want you to, to take some time and help us understand what's happening. We've gone through that first half, defining reality, and we come to the statement of change. Statement of change is just to try and make as clear as possible what God is doing and what the result's going to be. I've discerned God is at work. I've defined what's going on. We have a measure of shared, shared imagination. Uh, our relationship is obviously hopefully deepened. Can we make this as clear and refined as possible? It was Will Williman who helped me to articulate this and, and get at this. The reason that you want to do this is, is for a couple of reasons. One is it just does validate and confirm all the work you've just done right? in steps one, two, and three. It just confirms and validates that. If you can get this down to a really clear picture, then you just said, man, all that work has resulted in this. Now, sometimes people might say, yeah, but you can't put all that work into one sentence. There's a phrase that goes like this. Simplicity on the near side of complexity is worth nothing. Simplicity on the far side of complexity is worth everything. And this is really trying to name something simple on the far side of complexity. You've done some complex stuff. You've done some complex work. And this is try to say, okay, what's the simple thing that's, that's emerging? Now, one of the things that I found is that you might think about all that work of, of listening and clarifying and conferencing that there might be more that comes out of, out of that than just one statement of change, but you just want to try and focus on one thing at a time, right? You don't want to get overwhelmed with all the things that you might do, especially for a person that's in a Kairos moment, right? They're in a season of change. It's like some of this, you just want to be able to focus on. And the statement of change allows you to have that kind of clarity. The second thing that it does, not just validating and affirming all the work you've done, is that it also just makes sure that the spiritual caregiver, the pastor, and the person are really on the same page. Sometimes I've gone through a whole lot of work with a person, and what they discern to be the work of God in their life in that moment, I just say, 
you know, I don't agree. I don't think that that's what God is up to. I don't think God is leading you in that direction. And it allows you to look at the situation and say, maybe it's something that I think is unfaithful. And I say, you know, I can't help you move in that direction. If that's where you are, I'm still going to be your pastor. I'm still available to listen. I'm still available to be present in a responsible way without the pastor being turned into a personal spiritual coach or somebody that's enabling some behavior. But you're able to have clarity and say, that might be the, the end of what we're going to call a, a structured counseling relationship here. Could be a point of referral, right? Maybe you would think I need to entrust this person to somebody else if they're willing and if they're discerning the same thing. The other thing I might do is you might say, I think you're right. I think God is leading you there, but I don't think I've got the required skills. I don't think I have the, the required abilities to help you. And again, that could be a referral. That might be a referral to another pastor. That might be a referral to you know a licensed marriage and family therapist. That might be a referral somewhere else. But it just gives you one of those checkpoints along the way to say, okay, can I still be a, a valuable, viable help to this person that, whose soul has been entrusted to my care? And if yes, then great. We've got fresh energy to keep going and we've got clarity. If not, then I've got a responsibility and a role to move them to somebody else and help them discern that we can't go forward in this, but we can stay pastor and parishioner. We can stay small group leader and small group member and still continue on a journey towards God in as much as we're resources to one another. Those listening can can hear how maybe as a friend, this happens in a 30-minute conversation. Or you could also envision this happening over three, four meetings. Uh, if somebody's coming, the listening is an extended portion and the clarifying and the conferencing is uh, extended. So this could play out in multiple different ways. You know, if you were coming to me, Aaron, and saying, I've got this big thing and we're just talking as friends and I could say, well, it sounds like you're feeling God is calling you to this. That could all happen really quickly. Or it can happen over a long period of time if somebody really has a lot that they're trying to work through. After the statement of change, you're helping the other identify what God is calling them to change in this Kairos moment. The second half of that model is planning, accountability, and follow-up. Can you walk us through that? It's kind of a no-brainer, but nobody comes to see their pastor. Nobody enters into one of these conversations without hoping that they've got some kind of change that's coming, right? Like they want to see an amelioration in their life. Nobody starts going to the gym saying like, boy, in three months, I hope that this is the exact same. Nobody takes medication saying like, boy, I hope that no change happens. And you know, they, no, but people want to get, they want to get better. They want to see change. The first half about defining reality. The second half is enacting, creating a new reality, right? Like how do we make sure that I'm not just feeling better, but there's a change in my life. There's something new that's that's emerging so that my life doesn't revert to its old habits or to its old practices. And so those are the, the last three steps of plan, accountability, and follow-up. So planning is just saying, okay, let's let's look at the habits that we can put into this person's life. I call them plumb line habits. I got it from uh, Charles Duhigg. Plumb line habits, things that just keep my life centered and in a good direction. Or there might be some other skills that I might I need to add into it. So you're going to develop a plan. Now, a lot of times pastors are good at planning. They've organized anything from worship services to pizza parties to committee meetings, right? They've, they've organized a lot of stuff and they're really good at planning. And the temptation here is to over plan. It's like drop a plan for somebody and put it in their lap and say, okay, here's everything you got to do. Well, that doesn't work. If you're in leadership, you know that there's some times that you can just give the plan, but a lot of times you've got to access the wisdom of the room. In this case, you've got to access the wisdom of the other person, because when people start to feel competent, then they're more engaged in what the plan actually is. So it's kind of like you're a plan supporter rather than the planner itself. 
the next step as a result is accountability. It's just to ask, okay, did we follow through on the plan? And is it working? If we didn't follow through, why not? Are there shorter steps that we need to take? Do we need to, to back it up a little bit, maybe modify? Do we need to add a different habit? If things d- did go well, but you're not really sensing the change that you wanted, right? Maybe you added in some plans to meet with another person, ameliorate a relationship. And you're saying, yeah, three months in, I'm, I've been meeting with them, but there's really no change in the relationship. Okay, well, let's look at that. Let's re-examine reality. And you might want to do kind of like a mini version of, of number one, like to look and listen and clarify and conference to, to reassess the problem. But again, the point of doing this is accountability isn't to make the other person feel bad about what they're doing. It's to say, no, like we defined a reality. We defined the statement of change. We want to move towards it. We want to see some, some change. And this is another great spot for referral is that sometimes the pastor has been a great support They've listened, they've got clarity, good statement of change. They've helped to design a really workable and applicable plan, but change isn't just happening. And you say, okay, maybe you just need another voice. Maybe somebody else can help you get to that point of change. And the pastor's got to be humble to say, might be somebody else that's going to need to help you go the the rest of the way, so to speak. The last point is follow-up. And this is where I would say I probably made some of the more significant missteps. I learned along the way that one of the key habits that had to get into a person's life if they were going to have lasting spiritual change was to be connected to a spiritual community. You know, for me, it was a local church. You know, they needed to be connected to a local church for some people. It's a small group and some people it's both, right. They need to be in a, in an intentional spiritual community, if they're going to see lasting change. And what would sometimes happen is I'd be going through these processes with people and we'd become really good friends, right. There'd be a relationship. And it was kind of like, I became their inoculation to the local church. It was like, they were like, I'm friends with the pastor. Like, of course, my spiritual life is good. I'm friends with a pastor. Of course I'm in a, a good spot spiritually. And I really neglected seeing them reconnected to the local church in a way that said, yeah, I'm, I'm always available for you in a pastoral role. It doesn't mean I'm always available. It means I'm your pastor. I'm going to serve in this way. I'm going to help watch out for you. I'm going to help care for your soul. I'm not going to do this work alone, right? You've got a responsibility to the body now that you're feeling better or now that you've made some changes in your life. You've got a responsibility to the body and you can draw resources from the body as well. There's one way that this really focuses in on the pastoral role. Part of the resources that the body of Christ has for you is in local church worship. It's in worship. It's in practicing the sacraments. It's in the prayers that's happening. It's in the proclaimed word of God. It's in the reading of scripture. And you want to make sure that a person is realizing like, oh, God has given me so many resources in a regular worship attendance that I can apply to my life. I really needed to make that a key part of what I was doing in my pastoral counseling was to remind people of the, the value of the local church, how it could invest in them, and also the responsibility they had to invest in others now that there had been transformation in their life. And that's the last step in this is the follow-up, right? How do we make sure that they're reintegrating into the church, that the transformation God has done is really taking root? There's some things, depending on your theology of ordination, that might just be the ordained person who's doing, but there's all kinds of things that everybody in the church should be doing and can grow in. One of those is a speaking blessing. As a small group leader, as a good friend, how can you speak blessing into people's lives? One of my favorite verses in scripture is the power of life and death is in the tongue. If we took that seriously to realize that our words help to create new worlds, then we would be speaking blessing more frequently, especially to people that we've gone through a process of change with. And so there's a little bit of reflections in the book about developing blessings and going to scripture to make some, some scriptures that I found really helpful to, to bless others that, man, we can really use those, those words to help solidify the new world that God has created in a person's life. In addition to this, I mean, again, we ask at the very beginning, who, who's this for? I think about this model 
I could use this with my kids as they're growing to help them work through change. I think that this is a great model for individual change. So if you're a leader who wants to help an employee on your team make a move forward, if it's a friend, I think that this is applicable in a lot of different places and is just really helpful and beneficial. You you mentioned sometimes in the book, hey, this might be a good moment to actually show the person you're talking to the model. This is what we're actually doing right now. You need to discern that. Some people might look at it and go, are you just walking me through a piece of paper? You know, whereas others would find that really helpful. So you've got to use your discernment. But I think this is absolutely wonderful work and helpful for pastors who are going to be approached on a regular basis for this type of care, but also helpful for a lot of people in a lot of other ways. So I thank you for the work that you've done in this and in sharing, sharing it with us. Man, well, thanks, Aaron. I, I appreciate that. You mentioned before, like sometimes these kinds of conversations just happen in the store, right? That was one of the things that I had to learn early on is like, if I'm going to the store, it's not like a, a specific trip, but like take a little bit of time because the two cities I've ministered in, I was probably going to run into somebody that I knew. And it wasn't like we were breaking boundaries and that kind of stuff. It was just like, no, there's going to be a, a brief conversation about how I can care for their soul in this moment. God has, God has orchestrated that. So how can I allow more space. And man, God does that through every person in his church. Like God has sent every person into the, into the world as a missionary, as somebody who carries the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit into those conversations. And people are drawn. They're drawn to wise people. Foolish people aren't always drawn to wise people, but people that God is stirring in, right? People that God's prevenient grace is drawing them towards himself. They're interested in some of these conversations. And so I hope that there's some practical tools that apply to every person who is eager and open to living on mission for God, because they will be sought out as winsome and wise people that can bring practical solutions, but also empathy and care to another person. Totally agree. Well, the book is Cairo's Care, a process for pastoral counseling in the office and in everyday encounters, which you just mentioned. Aaron, thanks so much. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. Friends, this has been our first video-based podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you found it beneficial, please like and subscribe, share this video around. You know, the podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry. Thanks so much, Aaron, for letting me talk about this resource, which I hope has done just that. Thanks, Connor, for your production work. Thanks again, Aaron, for hosting. And thank you, viewers and listeners, for tuning in and making conversations like this possible. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.